Hello, everyone. Hi, and welcome. Um, I'm Amy Zaltzman, and I work here at the National Academy as a marketing manager. Um, before I introduce you to David Cohen, our moderator, um, I just wanted to remind you, as you'll see on the screen, our next review panel is February 4th. There's none on either in December or in January. Um, if you would like more information or whatever's on the screen, we have postcards, the back table you can pick up before you leave. And also, I just wanted to mention, if you're not already on our mailing list, our e we send out a newsletter with information on classes and programs and lectures and all the panels. So if you're not on that list, at the check-in table in the museum entrance, we have a sign-up sheet. Um, now I'd like to introduce you to David Cohen. He is the publisher and editor of the online magazine, Art Critical. And uh, here's David. Thank you. Good evening. Okay, I'm gonna have to turn this machine off. That's tragic. Okay. <laughs> Uh, please do turn your cell phones right off. Just don't, not, not even silenced, but, but uh, kill it, so to speak. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome. Lovely to see you all. Welcome to the review panel, the last of the year, but midway through our season. Um, as, as Amy explained, we're taking a nice long break. That doesn't mean that you should take a break from looking at art. Please go and look at lots of art, says he patronizingly to an audience full of people who... Not only look at it, but probably most of you make it too. Actually, out of curiosity, how many of you make art? Okay, that wasn't Watch a bad. Out. Wasn't a bad guess, was it? <laughs> <laughs> well, and who who is new to the review panel? Who has never been here to one of our events? Very happy, healthy statistic. Marvelous. So, for your benefits, and also to remind those of us um, who aren't necessarily here every month, which is almost everyone but me. Uh, let me just run through the procedure. We're looking at four exhibitions that all or most of us have been to see. Uh, we will show a little PowerPoint display of the first two that we're going to talk about. The panel will then discuss them, weigh their merits and lackings among ourselves, then bring in the audience to make comments, ask questions, <coughs> extend the debate, and then repeat the procedure for the final two shows. My guests this evening, from my left, are Alexandra Anderson Spivey, who for quite some many years was editor-in-chief of Art and Antiques magazine and is now a senior correspondent for Artnet magazine. Uh, Stephanie Buhmann, uh, who is German originally, is um, a contributing editor at Art Critical magazine. She runs, uh, writes a column on The Villager, and her writings are also seen frequently in the Brooklyn Rail, Art on Paper, and Sculpture magazine. And Peter Plagans is first and foremost a painter. He will be having a show at Nancy Hoffman Gallery in January. He has a regular column at Art in America magazine, Eye Level, and um, until 2003 held for 15 years various positions, including art critic 
on Newsweek magazine. He's the author of a couple of novels, the latest of which, The Art Critic, was serialized um, at Artnet magazine, where it can still be enjoyed. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome your panel. So we're ready to look at our first couple of shows. We've been to see Sherry Levine at Paula Cooper Gallery and James Casabier House at Sean Kelly Gallery. They're shows that I think are going to very naturally lend themselves to comparison because of the com comparable strategies, strategies, concerns, uh, and enigmas, perhaps, of, of these two artists who emerged on the scene roughly the same time. They are sort of artists one associates with the pictures generation. Uh, they get going in the 70s and come to attention in the 80s. But we'll deal with them, as is our want, one by one, in the first instance. And let's start with Sherry Levine. Peter, here's an artist who's been pretty consistent with her project, one could say, from the get-go, a project many would say is marked by significant austerity and um, more noted for what it excludes from the process than what it brings to it. You must have been presumably following her or aware of her from the get-go. Um, what do you make of the phenomenon as a whole and are there significant departures in this latest body of work? Uh, um, <laughs> the phenomenon as a whole is is that Sydney about Sherry Levine um, is a very smart, enduring uh, artist with a pretty good project. It's not taken as a whole my cup of tea, but it's something you have to respect. I think. And she has not only a kind of physical austerity, but a certain intellectual austerity. And she sometimes, and I'm speaking off the cuff here, I'm not, not done research on Sherry Levine, but you know, she does, instead of sort of piling irony upon irony, she'll extract irony from irony, you know, like, like doing simulacra of Duchamp, mm -hmm. you know, and just like boiling it down even more. Whether this is a significant departure, I don't know. <clears throat> I'll be brief. I have to say, I have a weakness for that room. That is the best room in Chelsea, Paula Cooper's. I just love to go in it, period. Um, even though it reminds me of the supermarket I used to work in as a teenager because it has that manager's window up right. there where, you know, he'd always look down and supervise and, you know. Um, but that that big room, I don't know what the 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 Steichen uh, Gray's scale has to do with the little polished gold shaker crib in the corner, mm -hmm. but it looks good. And I, you know, as a I, I encountered another critic who shall remain nameless here, who said to me in another gallery, I said, "Where I just been?" And he says, "I don't know. How does how does Sherry Levine get away with that shit?" Um, I rather liked what I saw to look at. I'm not quite sure about the irony. And in the other room, 
was completely negligible to me. I it was sort of like Jeff Koons without the easy fun. Mm-hmm. I, you know. Um, anyway, I that's, that's that's my turn that's to start with. Definitely a place to start with, and um, the word irony cropped up a couple of times. Um, we uh, the the irony. Um, is, however, a debatable aspect of Levine. Um, Is there irony in Levine, Stephanie? And um, if so, is irony something one can run with indefinitely? I don't know um, that I saw irony in the work. I saw, I'm kind of with Peter, I'm saying this is not really my cup of tea. It's work about work. In this case, it was work about um, Stieglitz's equivalent series, um, kind of taking all the shades of gray and blue from these um, photographs that he took of skyscapes and um, kind of turning it into minimal uh, paintings. Um, I think it's really kind of like a minimalist view of work that was done 70, 80 years before, and it's not really ironic to me. It's more of a um, kind of constructivist approach I'm not really fond of art in general, where you kind of need a manual to understand what's um, being deciphered here, and I feel that this was that work. It was a beautiful installation. You walk in, you have a sequence of beautiful monograph, uh, uh, mono, um, kind of um, monolithic uh, kind of presentations of painting. Um, I didn't get the relationship to the sculptures. That was a really strange um, kind of... Um, dialogue that these mm. bronze sculptures mm. had with these paintings. Um, but I didn't see irony, no. No. Um, Alexandra, I... I um, Ali. Can I call you Ali? Excellent. You, I've always known you as Ali. I don't, I don't care what it says on the dotted line. Um, we're going to call you Ali tonight. Ali, um, Sherry Levine is one of the artists I most profoundly despised for my entire oh, professional me life. Me too, me too, me um, too. Until, until, until oh. a few months ago okay. when I had to... St- I'm teaching, and, oh, you know, okay. teaching, is, teaching is terrible to bigotry because you actually have to research the people you don't like. And, um, well, she's one of those artists who actually I find actually is more interesting as long as you don't look at the work. If you, uh, if you read about it and if you... If you read her interviews, um, she's, she's a rather fascinating person and personality. Um, but, unfortunately, this is an occasion where we do have to look at some work. So, uh, do you prefer to think about Levine, see Levine, or neither? Uh, well, I'll tell you a little story. Many years ago, when Sherry Levine did some particularly egregiously annoying pictures, where there was a piece of plywood with a knot hole, you know, and oh, yes, then. Yes. that was painted gold. And that was the only time in my life as an art critic I've ever said, I can do that, and I went home and did it. <laughs> it was easy. Now, I, think, I thought in the spirit of Sherry Levine, who was obviously copying other people's work, Walker Evans, you know, whoever, whoever, I could copy Sherry Levine, and I did it very successfully. So if you want a Sherry Levine, I recommend that you make your own. It's not hard. Um, I feel that she is uh, actually an ex- extremely academic intellect, and that um, uh, somehow this is a way for her to channel her interest in specific artists without making anything very interesting for us to look at. Um, and I agree with David that uh, when she discusses her ideas, um, it's more tantalizingly interesting than seeing what she produces. And if you move her work out of the context 
of what I call the backstory or the long-winded label, um, and you put it in Bali, let's say, what would happen to it? What would, would, it, would it have any affect? Would anybody care? Would, would we just see some gray and blue square, you know, rectangles? And who in Bali would care about Alfred Stieglitz anyway? So I always try to take the art out of the intellectual um, superstructure that's supporting it and put it in a place where none of that can apply and see how the work holds. That's an interesting test, but unfortunately I, I fear that 99% of the art I find interesting in the world would fail that test, in, in, including Titian and Rothko. So, well, uh, I think story. Well, Rothko would hold up in terms of color and everything. I just think the Sherry Levine work is so dependent on the intellectual argument that um, it, it doesn't hold up very well. Okay. Peter, what is the intellectual argument? I don't know. Um, Excuse me. Thank you. Got it. Got it. Thank you. I'm going to do what, you know, politicians do. You get asked a question and then you answer the question that you wanted to have been asked or that wasn't asked at all. Just a, a, a note on irony. I was being very, <clears throat> you know, according to the dictionary kind of thing, that irony is something when something is stated, it means opposite than or other than the obvious statements. And I would take more... Uh, the two statues in the vitrines in the mm -hmm. little room. We know that it's not it's it's something other than her just saying, Oh, you know, I like this Cambodian figure and I want a replica of it, much in the way some ordinary citizen might want one of those Princess Diana plates up on the shelf in the mm -hmm. living room because you honestly there's something else there and that something else is in some and I'll agree, academic intellectual way ironic. Um, agree with David about the context problem, which is that, yes, and it isn't just Rothko, and it isn't just Levine, and it isn't just, you know, Thomas Hirschhorn or somebody like that. A lot of what we look at depends on at least the laboratory look at the gallery, the clean floors, the clean walls, the nice wash lighting, box. It, mm. you know, et cetera. Um, and, again, I go back to the, that, that one room. I don't know what it means. A little pet peeve of mine, and it's easy to beat the exhibition over the head with the press release. I've done that before. Um, but there's something, a word really got under my, you know, got my back up, and that was Sherry Levine's inquiry into the nature of abstract painting. And I've, you know, you get, I get a little bit intolerant. It's like, look, if you want to do an inquiry, or an investigation, or an interrogation, get a PhD in sociology or anthropology or something like that, and, and, and do that. It's, what's up there is not an inquiry into abstract painting. It's a rather nice installation. I'm not sure what it means, and it looks pretty good. But, you know, this, I don't know what this science envy is or social science envy is on the part of artists. It's to it's, make it seem deeper and more serious. That's why. Mm, yes. But what about if you split up the the series here? What if what if uh, you know the pampered collectors each choose to buy one? Does then the uh, does the argument hold up when you remove them from the the what do we call it? This, you know the kind of orchestrated change in the colors? If it's if a single canvas, what does one of the single canvases mean? 
Well, I think it's fair, in fairness to Levine, um, we're reviewing her show. Right. She's hung this. Right. She's made it to be hung this way. Um, we, I mean... Perhaps it needs the, to stay together. <coughs> yeah, well, there I think, are, it's I think it is probably it's supposed to be. Yep. Um, it is one piece, yes. So, so that, it's made for a museum. Exactly. Or, or yeah. made for somebody with a lot of space or a desire to keep this piece together. Maybe the person yeah. will hang one at a time, um, but, <laughs> but tell visitors this belongs to a sequence and come back it, in three months' time and you'll see the next in the sequence. Maybe it falls somewhere in between an old-fashioned exhibition of individual works on the wall and mm. the old you know, Count Ponza buying the license to reconstruct mm. the right. thing whenever mm. the inspiration strikes. Well, uh, Stephanie, I would say, in answer to that question, that statement from Peter, that actually, um, you know, I completely share with Peter this this bewilderment at the way in which um, uh, art since the '60s has been not only bureaucratized but also turned uh, what what has for centuries worked very nicely as a source of um, pleasure and uplift was sort of transformed overnight into some kind of um, sociology experiment. But um, nonetheless, that's what we're dealing with, and that's what we've got. So um, wouldn't it be better to say that, in fact, this is an inquiry, this is um, an investigation, and um, if, if, um, if one wants to object to the notion of the contemporary artist um, conducting an inquiry... Why start with Sherry Levine? There's a tremendous number of other people who are going to get into trouble for it. It always seems to me unfair to single out somebody who's within a very long trajectory and say the trajectory is wrong. If, if it's wrong, don't look at my show, might be the answer. No? Well, if it works, it works. Mm. Um, I mean, it doesn't work as an inquiry, but I was sort of seduced by that big room. Mm. So you have a kind of thing, you know, she's making this intellectual inquiry, and it yes. looks pretty good. But I think this inquiry is not just this particular show. I think your whole body of work, you know, going back um, through the decades, every show kind of focusing on, you know, trying to analyze one artist, trying to comment on one artist's work. Um, it's an ongoing series, and I think this is really what she is about. She is mm -hmm. taking all these different influences, maybe not influenced particularly on her work, but influences that have influenced art history in her time, and she is, um, you know finding her own way to channel all these experiences and trying to kind of infiltrate her own work with these kind of notions of who Stieglitz was, who Duchamp was, who Cezanne was. And I think that's her inquiry, that she's putting together every two years a show um, mm. that is a comment on one of these, you know, major, major uh, milestones in art history. But um, it's, it's not... It's the same... Inquiry, but it's different um, methodology each time, isn't right. it? Slightly. Right. Mm -hmm. I so mean, the, 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 the first, when we first got Sherry mm -hmm. Levine, it was these exact replicas of Walker Evans' okay. images. Uh, we're not, now we're getting, I mean, and what she's doing now does relate to some things that have happened in the interim, but this pixelation and isolation of colours, um, it's... Is it actually doing what it sort of claims it's doing, or is it slightly? Is there something a little pretentious? I mean, I'm, I want to. I want the rest of us to run with Peter's notion that there's um, Peter saying basically, well, he's seduced because it's a nice room and spectral minimal abstraction in that kind of nice room is always going to register a certain kind of 
interior design satisfaction, if nothing else. So um, is she actually sort of, is there a sort of having your cake and eat it going on here? Is she sort of saying, like, on the one hand, um, I, I'm, not, uh, I'm not interested in design or color or shape because I'm, I'm a, a, a conceptual artist who's an investigating and uh, conducting an inquiry, but at the same time giving us sort of good interior decor. Is that, that's, that's, that's my a sort of dilemma I'm having now. Yeah, I, I think the decor is, um, as we say, minimally interesting, but it is very much decor, as are, in a way, the, the gold uh, replicas of mm. the crib and the chimera figure, um, which kind of collapse over into kitsch. Um, I'm not sure if you take away the support of the white box how much decor mm. is actually left. Right. Yes. The white box is very important here. And I say, what the other thing is, how how will this art endure? Does it does it need this? It needs a, a really sophisticated support system of architecture and ideas, and you know, if you will, um, um, special space to endure. Mm. And and I think that's a, a valid question. What will, where will these Sherry Levines be in 50 years? Well, she we might argue that she doesn't care. As she long might as, argue it, she doesn't care. She if, it, if it changes everyone's mind in the here and now then it may about not matter. art, politics, gender, Perception. and seven other issues, mm-hmm. um, that would be better than the being an enigma but a pretty one in 50 years' time. True. So let's, um, let's move from... Odd appropriations to odd constructions in photography, but um, I think perhaps you'd agree with me, Ali. Um, a more fun, more sensual, more intriguing visually ex- visual experience. Would you? I think this is much more eccentric, and um, in a way, um, there's a very mysterious personality building. I always think of him as a, you know, someone who must have had a lot of toy trains, um, um, or not enough, or not enough toy trains, exactly. Mm. And I think the labor involved is incredibly um, obsessive. This is an obsessive work, even though in the photographs it looks so distant and so clean and so, uh, if you will, non-emotionally inflected. But it's what 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 keeps it. What makes it compelling is this under layer of obsession as he's building the models and he's making the landscape and he's creating this entire village and putting little lights inside and taking pictures. Um, they're almost like haunted houses, aren't they? Mm-hmm. It's like a whole world of haunted houses. And um, there's certainly more room here to imaginatively speculate about what. James is thinking about and what what associations these suburbanized dollhouses um, provoke. So I, I think it's more provocative, actually. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I think using the photograph against a distancing mm-hmm. mechanism from this huge amount of labor that he's gone yes. on done. Right, <laughs> uh, Stephanie. I I know that uh, uh, Casabia has now has later in his career taken to actually exhibiting 
sculptural installations of the works that he, of the objects that he constructs to be photographed. But that notwithstanding, he's in this interestingly expansive uh, group of uh, artists that would include Lorna Simpson, Thomas Demand, and others perhaps that one can think of, who construct things to then photograph. Well, Crudson, no, that's a different well, situation because yeah. there you're actually... Well, he's actually using Pittsfield, right? Yeah. There yeah. you're but actually... But I do actually think um, that these last um, pictures he took do relate to Crudson because they do feel very cinematic. The right. approach is different. You know, you're, you're not really dealing with realism. You're having these models that are being photographed from different angles. But it does have a similar quality. You're really trying to get towards this kind of very extreme, surreal um, connotation. And I think it's the strongest work I've seen him do um, more ever. Narrative. There's more narrative. Yeah, and the psychological mind. content. You kind of feel you want to explore you know, the possibilities um, of, of all these people who could be in these houses. There's always um, a presence, even though all these pictures are devoid of human beings. And um, you feel you travel these stories. You're not just looking at an, a still image. You're, you're traveling a story. You're, you're um, going from these backyards into these houses. And, and I think that's the most interesting about his work, really. Yes. That goes away from the craft that, yes, it's a fantastic model and must have taken a lot of time to do. And I think, in especially this last series, it took him two years to do this model yeah. of Dutchess um, County. But... I think there's something new now that is uh, very rich, and for him, you know, mm. he kind of is entering new territory. Uh, Peter, you can do your political, yes. tr- you can do your politician trick <laughs> if you like, but this is a genuine question that <coughs> I'd love to have answered, uh, which is uh, the relationship between the the sculptural construction and the photograph. Um, what do you feel we're primarily looking at? Oh, I was primarily almost exclusively looking at photographs. I mean, A, that was what was on view. Um, and I probably depart, I think, a little mm-hmm. bit from here. You know, the art is the art, and whatever the artist has to do, I have 120 assistants like Jeff Koons or Murakami uh, spend all kinds of obsessive, obsessive labor like Charles Ledre, or just knock it out and, you know, two quick, splashy, gutai-like brush strokes. To me, that's the artist business. And the result, as they say, is the result. We won't say where that, that phrase comes from, for those of you who went to Earhart seminar training back in the 70s. Oh, right. um, uh, I, to me, there were two tracks there that were interesting. What he was saying about photography, the nature of photography. Mm-hmm. Because... Um, uh, uh, you know, the reality of the thing that he's photographing is not real. It's a mock-up, a model, you know. And so miniature, there's probably, too. Miniature. Various labors are removed. And I spent, a, a, you know, a little time in the gallery trying to figure out the different angles and so on and miniature. so forth. A, he moves things. He especially moves the little playground sets and the, and the decks. And the, the backyard And stuff. the backyard stuff. And secondly... I didn't ask anybody there this, but I'm, I'm convinced that he digitally changes the colors of houses and their roofs and walls. I think, you know, he does that. So Photoshop, yeah. Th- then the other track is, and this is, again, I don't want to beat the exhibition with the press release, but there was a sort of a denial 
of social comment on the part of the artist, you know, that he wasn't heavy into that. And so maybe I, from my particular background, you know, I was spent my childhood in the sort of Southern California equivalent of Levittown, the little boxes made of ticky-tacky that Pete Seeger sings, you know, sing, uh, sings about. And they resonated with me. They did seem more exurbi, uh, exurban than suburban, you know, a little farther out into the, into the country. Um, and I noticed, and, and again, this is one of the things I, my sec, my first pet peeve was the thing about the social science envy. Mm. My second pet peeve in these four shows, um, and, and this one worked, was that little ancillary room that galleries seem to want to do. They have a main show and then they have this, the other. And this was the only one to me that really worked, where you I got agree. the historical prologue. Mm -hmm. You got and the black could, and white, right. And, and yeah. you spoke about you know, cin cinematic quality, and it's one of the things that hit me is that he's gone from sort of Nosferatu, he's gone from German expressionist cinema to sort of Douglas Sirk. To Blue Velvet. You know, mm -hmm. to Blue Velvet and, and Douglas Sirk. And it did hit me that there was a, you know, a, a, a sadness in there mm -hmm. that, and these are maybe momentary cultural references, but yes. like, you know, the novel Revolutionary Road, the series Mad Men, mm -hmm. some of the scenes on it, and um, what was that movie with uh, Quaid, Dennis Quaid, Far From Heaven? Right. You know, mm -hmm. that sort of, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, and that's... You know, and the last thing, I just want to go back to the social comment. I'm unsure if on the way he's also taking swipes. I don't think he is, but you can almost say of the whole kind of McMansion phenomenon. Well, the yes, because turrets, that's, the little, that's, all these little um, gigas. That there is that possibility, but then, then the, the other possibility is of a much more extreme unreality than simply the fact that they're dinky and handmade is, to my eye, the um, uh, just the disconcerting discrepancies of scale uh, between individual houses and also houses to terrain. Um, so it's not um, it's not really a uh, it's not really a realism at play. It's not. Uh, not Lego. It's um, it's uh, it, well, or, or rather, it is Lego. I mean, it's it's um, it's a, a, a strange um, distortion of scale going on. Stephanie, did that strike you as well? It did, and I think there's other um, things he explores that I find very interesting. Uh, for example, light. <clears throat> it's it's a very strange light he employs. It's a very very um, Lurid Bright, almost, isn't it? yeah. Yes. It, it really makes it look more fake than it right. could. It's kind of and cold. Too. Yeah, very cold. Very, um, I would even say Spielbergian, ET. You know, mm. you, I mean, it is this um, kind of. I come back to it, but this cinematic quality that he seems to be pushing, and you know, there's a one uh, picture where he has this fake rainbow, and I, you know, I think he's now starting to play with these cotton candy ideas to really offset. Um, you know, other notions, like I think there's this um, problem he's tackling, that this is an area that, you know, experienced a lot of foreclosure, and, mm. you know, there's, there's this really interesting contrast he's working with. Mm. And you, you can get a sense of it without reading a press release, you know, in contrast yes. to Levine, Levine, for example. Exactly. You don't need the backstory. Yes, you don't no. need to, to bring in someone with a PhD to hold your hand. To look at this work, it's uh, it's it's got something for anyone who wants to bring some empathetic um, feeling to it. Um, 
I have a question. You have, yes. Go ahead. Uh, uh, what do everybody up here think of the lack of human figures or the only the indirect knowledge of, of uh, indications, sorry, of, of occupancy, you know, little lights in the windows and stuff like that. I, I was thinking, on the one hand, he can't really do it, you know, because the figures, he couldn't line them up. Who was the photographer a long time ago? Was it Alan McCollum or somebody who did the enlarged photographs of the little figures oh, in no, H.O. Railroad? Oh, well, that was the one who did all the G.I. Joe figures. No, the, David, David Leventhal. Yeah, isn't the it? little David tiny Leventhal. figures, and they look like, you know, horribly grotesque, defigured, you know, disfigured yeah. people, and they were those little small model railroad things. And I was torn between, well, he can't do it because he couldn't make a figure that would go with those houses that wouldn't look, you know, wrong. On the other hand, I thought, no, it's a choice. It's even if he could, he wouldn't because the, the slightly haunted quality is intentional. I also think we wouldn't project ourselves into these um, landscapes if there would be people. It would be a whole different um, enterprise. You would really read it as a model first and foremost. And also figures um, have a whole potency of attraction to them that mm -hmm. structures don't have, that as soon as you have a figure, you, you really home in to, to, to see whether it's lifelike or credible or you can relate to them. And you, and you always make up a different kind of story. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Whereas structures, you, yeah. can, you, you, you almost uh, have to imagine yourself inhabiting or you, okay. you, uh, the eye is just in, inex, inexorably drawn into uh, these spaces. Yes. Is he doing something radically different from Simpson and Demand? Or is it, is it, it's not coincidence that there should be three artists uh, coming to prominence around the same sort of time doing su such a strikingly similar th uh, thing. Anyone have any thoughts on that? <laughs> I think his work is a bit more poetic than their work, and a little mm -hmm. less. I think there is a, uh, you know, there, I do think there are. Um, uh, criticisms of exurbia and things underlying it, but I don't think it's as obvious as the, the political agendas of the other work. I think it's a little bit more subtle and more, um, as I say, more poetic. More, more open to different yeah, interpretations. Yeah, I, th I think it's more, it's more associational yeah. rather than uh, directing the message straight at you. Are we allowed to pick knits a little bit? Knit, knit, knit away. Knit, knit, away. Knit, pick away. I, I thought there were two, two bad moves in the thing. One was that rainbow. I thought, mm. a, a, you know, a bit of a bridge too far, or not a bridge. A, <laughs> the bridge being one of those little Thomas Kincaid, you know, oh, curved Thomas bridges. Thomas Kincaid. Over. There we go. Let's confirm and to Thomas Kincaid. The other one, I don't see a James Casabier sort of Christmas thing from Franklin Mint. <laughs> Um, and the other one was, oh. and this is really picky, is, is the, the mowing pattern in the lawn oh, was yeah. too express, like, you know, baseball outfields have those, you know, that cross-hatching yeah. in the mowing pattern. And again, I was wondering, was he could, because he couldn't get it, you know, just smooth grass, or did he want that striation in there? Well, you know what these reminded me of, too? How many people know this website called Unhappy Hipsters? Does anybody know it? Your husband all, knows it. Yeah. All those, <laughs> all those uh, pictures from Dwell magazine, those alienated, bleak, modernistic spaces. You've got to see this website. It is very funny. And there are very wicked captions under these 
purloined photographs. And I had a little bit of unhappy hipster resonance with these. I thought, I wonder if he knows that website. Well, we're all going to go to happy hipster. Uh, unhappy, un unhappy, unhappy, unhappy hipster. Unhappy hipster since we get home, and we're going to email it to the Sean Kelly Gallery if we right. think that that it would help you know. or uh, Mr. Casper and his enterprise. Any other? Let's 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 um, open this up to the floor at this stage, and um, let's actually. Usually, I'm very strict, and I say let's deal with this show first and that show next. But here's an occasion where I think it would actually be. Um, fruitful uh, to allow them to cross-germinate. So uh, let's think about Levine and Casabir together. Um, so wait for the roving mic, if you would. And um, yes, who would like to be? Who would like to make a contribution at this stage? Um, uh, yes. Yes. Um, great. Thank you. David, I, I want to go back to Sherry Levine for a second. Yes. Fantastic. And um, I think that, with all due respect to the panel, the original idea, the foundation idea for her work, was some sort of inquiry or peregrination on the nature of originality. She was questioning originality. In the early 80s, the, 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 the pieces that were verbatim Mondrian or Matisse, they were, they were, they were ironic or they were, um, they, were, they were provocative in that were these, were these Mondrians, or were they, was it a fake Jean Arp, or was it a real Sherry Levine? You know, they were provocative in that sense. She's still using other artists' originality as her content. Yeah. But now, it's, it's simply less provocative because it's, it's, it's distanced or something. Well, furthermore, know? then there was Mike Bidlow. There was Mike Bidlow and, and, and other, other artists involved. I mean, it, it became not such a, a transgressive idea, actually. I th but I think she's still, she's been faithful to that original idea. Yes. And, and of course, she is, as it were, embedded now in um, art scholarship, thanks to the, 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 the alignment of, of her work and um, Rosalind Krauss's um, advocacy of it in, in her seminal uh, germinal as Linda Nochlin taught me to say when talking about great feminists, um, her germinal essay, uh, The Originality of the Avant-Garde. Exactly. It's just she's not as strong a provocateur as she used to be. Or else the provocation worked, and uh, there's a necessary diminution for that reason. Well, there, there is, as they say in the, you know, the courtroom shows, you know, the question of originality, asked and answered as the attorney stands up and says. She's asked that question. There's a kind of feeling over the last 25 years or so that it's been answered. Answered not in some definitive thing that you can put on a little card and say, here's the answer, but the answer is felt. We've been there, sort of experienced that. And now, and I think, I, you know, I empathize with her in this, she's got to move it a little bit. So it isn't, she just can't inquire into the, you know, originality of the photographic greys or the nature of the, you know, the little statues from uh, Southeast Asia. She's got to arrange it, you know, in probably a little bit more visually attractive way. I think it's a little bit better, mm -hmm. higher end than just decor. But she's, you know, she's moved the enterprise over a little bit. And also put herself in a position where it's very difficult to then just say, okay, I've, done with, I've dealt with my deconstruction of originality now. Uh, now, if you don't mind, I'd like to be original. Mm -hmm. That's my Sherry Levine 
moment. So, um, more on Levine, or anybody else like to comment on Casabella? Yes. I just wanted to add a bit of information. Mm -hmm. I asked um, at the desk whether the 36 paintings were intended as one piece or 36. And they told me that they were intended as six sets of six to be sold as sets. Oh. But that the interest of collectors was such that um, they wound up all being sold as individual paintings. Very crafty. Hedging, hedging. Mm -hmm. Have your cake and eat it. Very good. good. Okay. I like that. Sherry sells six sets of six stiglets. <laughs> six Steichens. Like yeah. Steichen. Steichen. There we go. I said Steichen at first, and I thought I was wrong. No, you're right. Mm. Oh, wait, Steiglitz. Yeah, Sorry. Stieglitz. Oh, Steiglitz is better. Steiglitz is much better with Steiglitz. Anyway, better, better. Sherry sells six it sets of Steiglitz. It is Steiglitz, but the alliteration works both ways, so... Uh, uh, and so does the appropriation. So, uh, but it is just to get the facts right. What Stieglitz. do we think Stieglitz would think? Well, uh, that's a good question. Mm. What would Stieglitz think? Uh, anybody want to answer that question, or ask another one, or make another comment, uh, either on Casabir or or on? How about Casabir? Let's should we move on to him? Yes. Okay, go go for it, please. I can't hear, so can you speak into what the mic? What you were please? all talking about right at the end here um, reminded me of the Matthew Day Jackson um, show in the sense that um, it seemed almost as if he was taking the artifacts and as he states in his movie or in his little film, um, they're all, he sees them all at the same level almost, at the same time frame or at the same, and he's taking them all with him into space like with his body or something. And it's like she's taking these various... Uh, parts of uh, other artists and equating them and taking them with herself off. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Um, people, please do speak into the mic, not just so that we can hear you, but also so we can record it for, for, um, for, for posterity. And for those who love to follow the review panel but can't get here, we are, have a national audience, international, but uh, that's from people who go to artcritical.com and listen to the podcasts there. The National Academy's reach is global uh, thanks to technology, but the technology does need to you to hold the mic and use it. So any more on either Casabir or Levine? Um, love to hear your comments, your criticisms, your questions, if there are some. Otherwise, oh, good, good, excellent. Hi, I have a question. I'm wondering what inspired you to choose Sherry Levine to discuss tonight because um, there seemed to be a lot of um, agitated or, or negative feelings toward the show and especially as someone who is outside of the art world and always very interested to learn more and to you know explore and appreciate the world of art this is the kind of thing that you see from an outside perspective and it's you know the first immediate reaction I have is insert eye roll, you know, here's another experience that we're seeing that is really incomprehensible to people outside of the art world. And, you know, people want to be in it. They want to be moved. They want to feel something. They want to explore a new aspect of themselves. And we see this and, you know, somebody, like for me, I see this and I'm kind of at a loss for words. Whereas the panel was talking with the other artist 
you can see a narrative. You can start to imagine yourself in there. You can start asking a million questions in your head, but with the Sherry Levine show, I'm really at a loss, so I'm curious as to why the show was picked to mm -hmm. review. Very good, very fair question. Um, can I answer that? You can answer it, yes, please. I think we picked it, and David, please correct me if I'm wrong, because Sherry Levine is, in a way, um, a, a very well-known and established artist from her conceptual beginnings up until now. And um, it is always very um, important to take a step back and really look at the achievements of someone who may have a rather elevated reputation and sometimes you find that um, the, you know there are feet of clay, there are there are issues, and you've actually articulated the issue we were talking about, which is the infrastructure of the ideas is perhaps more interesting to talk about than the art is to look at, and that is very puzzling for uh, the civilians, you know, and and I, I totally agree with you. You know, but you then you the more you know about her in one way, then you can judge for yourself whether you think what she's doing is interesting or relevant. But you do have to do your homework. You just walking in isn't going to tell you the story. On the other hand, it tells you a story that you have to do some homework. Uh, <laughs> That's which right. is what this lady, lady is saying. Yeah, I think uh, Ali's answered that question pretty well. Yeah, thank you. Excellent. So let's look now at the uh, next two. set of shows. We're looking at Wangechi Mutu's Hunt, Berry Flea at Gladstone Gallery and then Roxy Payne's Distillation at James Cohan Gallery. Stephanie, Wangechi Mutu. Magic, politics, both? Both. Um, I have to say I'm a big uh, Mutu fan. I have been for years and I've been following her work for years. I mean, she's you know, been around for the last 15 years, really, so it's, it's not decades and decades. But um, I was really highly anticipating this show. It's her first show at Gladstone Gallery. And, um, you know, I was somewhat disappointed, I have to say. I don't feel that it really was her best. I thought there was a really big disconnect between the sculptural works and her drawings. I mean, she studied sculpture, so it's not a new thing for her, um, though she's best known for her works on paper, her collages. And um, even in past installations where she has incorporated sculpture, you felt it was almost more an extension of her drawing. But in this show, it really was a completely separate thing. And um, that installation that you saw a little bit in the back, this kind of grid with these moth-like creatures, I didn't know what to make of it. I, I thought it was actually kind of just kitsch, and I had a, a problem with that. Um, I didn't see her usual kind of you know, embrace of the organic, of texture, of, of um, you know, complex information, of, of her references of media in there. It just seemed like a, you know, kind of like an attempt to be more mythic than she has uh -huh. to be. Aha, uh -huh. right. We'll come back to you, though, and, and find out with the, the classic uh, Mutu, which mm -hmm. is, is on show here as well with the photographic collages, what you really make of them and, and, and what they mean for us. Um, Peter, um, what was your verdict on, on the show and, and, and your feelings about the artist? Well, you know, I've not been paying attention because she was somewhat new to me. Um, and I hadn't been following the work. Uh, I'm an inveterate ranker. That's 
R-A-N-K-E-R, not R-A-N-C-O-R. Um, just for purposes of thinking about it, and I, you know, my favorite of the four shows was Casabir, followed by, surprisingly, Sherry Levine, followed by Roxy Payne, mm -hmm. followed by Mutu. But, and I thought Mutu was a sort of, you know, a there was a little bit of distance between the first three shows and, and hers. But all the shows were pretty good, and in terms somebody mentioned before about picking the shows, I don't know what the thing is, but there was a big list put out, and we commented, and somehow we came up with four, those four shows. And if you notice that they were, the, all four galleries are kind of higher end, so the, the, all of the work had a certain polish to it. It wasn't some, you know, recent wild hair MFA in the, you know, deepest Brooklyn um, in any of these shows. Okay, that's uh, too long a prologue. Mm. Uh, that show came to me, you know, I read, again, the press material. That show came to me, it was the, the art that came the closest to its stated aims. Not that there was a propagandistic aim, but the, but the talking about the violence and sexual, psychosexual tension in, you know, colonial and post-colonial thing. It was there. I mean, it was, it, it was all there and had certain power to it. Um, my complaints about it, well, one last thing, is, is, is that and it, it's very much in tune with the sort of cultural climate of the day, which is all about hybridization and mixing and, and you know, all that kind of stuff. To which, to me, see, I find sort of Sherry Levine to kind of be a breath of fresh, if chilled, air. Um, Refrigerated. Uh, is that... You know, uh, I thought, to me, the best thing was in the back. I liked that Moth Girls mm -hmm. installation. And I, I couldn't figure out why that thing wasn't up front, because for all the whatever it is, the energy and the, and the moiling in, 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 in those photo collages, those big pieces, the, the trouble for me was they all came down to browns and beiges. It was all kind of very tasteful in a certain sort of way. I certainly agree with Stephanie if you're talking about that around the corner, that sculptural installation. Is that the one you were talking about? I thought that should have just been left out. Right, You know, that's what a dealer is supposed to do. Is supposed to help you like an editor a little bit and say, look, you know, don't, don't put that one in. Um, Let's see. Well, it's probably but extra in fairness, I mean, here, here we have an artist who's got uh, a very big international reputation, but mm -hmm. she's quite young, and this is her first show with Gladstone. Mm -hmm. So she's probably wanting to pull the stops out and show that she's not uh, a one-horse, a one-trick pony, and right. there's something else to be done. And so I, I kind of sympathize with the ambition and, and concur with, the, with, with Stephanie and Peter that it was a mistake. But... Let's perhaps, because she is, as it were, the youngest, newest um, artist that we're considering, um, let's just try and be generous, perhaps, and just concentrate on what is best about her work, which is that which she was already best known for. How These old is very she? dense, she's very young, she's about my age. Um, <laughs> she's, I, I believe she's in her like late 30s. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah, she's uh, born. Right, there you Raphael are. was dead Good. by then. Yes, yes. <laughs> That's true, but on the other hand, Matisse had barely started. So <laughs> let's, therefore, uh, be generous and say the best work for her is the work for which she's best known. These very dense, multi-scaled collages culled from disparate sources that build up these um, uh, hybrid forms. 
Uh, and there is also, I think, um, maybe uh, you're going to disagree with me, uh, uh, Ali, but I, I felt that there was um, uh, um, a magical intensity to her way of making figures and drawing rich complexities of uh, skins and and, and veils in, in pulling these figures together. And uh, I was put in mind, I was put in mind of quite a few contemporary artists um, whose names annoyingly are now suddenly deserting me, but that uh, Canadian chap who shows at James Cohan and then somebody who had a very elaborate construction at the Whitney Biennial recently. Um, but uh, that's the problem with live reviews when ideas suddenly come to you. But... Um, let me throw this out and say that besides those contemporaries whose names are eluding me, perhaps someone can fill them in in a moment, um, how about saying that there's something of Egon Schiele in, in, the, in the way that she, she pulls well, these rather yeah. torturous, strange, manneristic uh, figures together, but Egon Schiele with a little bit more of a political conscience? I would say Hannah Hook and John Hartsfield. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, in, in the technique, I I, but in the fig, yeah. Okay, well, great. And also in the in the in the in the in the distortion and the grotesqueness of the the passionate feeling that is expressed through grotesque juxtapositions, and. Um, and does that help you appreciate the work? Does that make her better? Um, I've found it. I've i found um, thinking very hard about it. I've found myself finding Western art references all over the place in this work, including Dubuffet, including Goya, including Hawks, including Hartsfeld. And I can see as a Yale graduate that she probably had her art history very well in hand. I think the the, the work is very exotic and very passionate and certainly uh, had the hottest temperature of anything that we saw. Um, I thought at the same time a lot of it was a bit of a mess. and somehow, I'm sure that seeing one of them may be more powerful than when you see several at once, because you begin to see the repetitious techniques that are going on. Um, however, I think uh, I, I rather liked her um, excess. Uh, I think it bodes well. I think she's definitely got something original to say in her work. And I think the cross-pollination culturally is very interesting. I also kept thinking about Avatar. You know the creatures in Avatar? Oh, right? yes. Right? Haven't and, seen it yet, but I... Oh, I, boy, you got to yeah. see it. Mm, yeah. um, and so you kind of had the, you know, the... Um, the, the sci-fi animation. Sci-fi elements. animation, jungle, creatures, mm-hmm. different colors. Everybody's a different color. That's fine. And the pornography, you know, the, the <laughs> violence in the work is very real. Mm. Um, the porn, I think, inevitably brings to mind uh, Chris Ophelia. Um, oh, absolutely, yeah. Stephanie, um, talk us through uh, Mutu plus or minus um, Ophelia. Any thoughts there, or are we just lumping them together because they have an African connection? Or is that- yeah, I think we're lumping them together because they have an African connection and because of the collage aspect, but I don't think that they're really on the same par. I'm not a huge Ophelia fan. Um, and I, I think of Mutu really highly, even though I said that this, I don't think, was her strongest show, but I do think there's another depth there. 
um, in terms of incorporating you know, different media sources. Be it, uh, she's calling images from National Geographic magazine. She's calling images from um, you know, different pornographic magazines. So there's a lot of wealth of information that she's incorporating and then making these kind of really unique figures. And that's what she's known for. And um, you know, they're, they're really interesting to read because you read first these kind of really exotic creatures, but then you kind of dive into all these materials and how they're layered, and you, you really start to reflect on, you know, how society and all our different media outlets are looking at women or, you know, uh, women of color and you know, young women and uh, women's sexuality. And, you know, Ophelia has none of that. There's not much depth there at all to me. Oh. Stephanie, um, question, because I mm -hmm. haven't seen that much of her work. I have yeah. only a few other things. Is the scale of these works any different from the previous work you've seen, or is she really working in the, what I call basically she has set, full She has scale? had several um, museum exhibitions and has had you know, works included in major exhi museum exhibitions, such as in the New Museum, and um, mm -hmm. she has worked on very large scale. But when she started That's out, typical. it was quite it was smaller. smaller. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But also maybe, because I've looked at it longer, to add that I found that these new works um, became more abstract. The figures are really starting to dissolve into the background, and they're more of an all-over uh, feel to them, whereas before it was really a crisp figure um, against kind of like a plain background. Yeah, that's what I've seen, the centralized mm -hmm. figure. They're less graphic now. Yeah. So, Peter, you, for you, this is the, the weakest show of the evening. But, oh, yeah, uh, but it's not but like not a necessarily D a minus show. after everybody right. else's A's. <laughs> right, right. Um, uh, what, uh, besides, uh, uh, what are your, what, what strengths do you see in the work? Oh, I mean, in, <clears throat> I was going to say in the first place. It's the first thing I think of, but it isn't the, ver the first place. But it is very skilled, dedicated, intense, you know, labored. And I don't mean it in the, in the same sense that, that Casabir is. I mean, it's really, um, uh, it's, you know, it's, <clears throat> it's in there, and she does have real skills. I mean, there's a, um, uh, she does seriously and with, you know, uh, I can't, think of a word here, very emotional purpose is kind of what Archimboldo does. You know, mm -hmm. she can do that right. thing and yeah. put it to some use. Um, <clears throat> there are probably a little too many influences that are legible in there. It becomes a little bit of a stew, you know, where there's, um, um, I've, I've used this analogy in my mind a lot about when art becomes chilly. You know, not right. as in temperature, but chili con carne. Chili yeah. con carne, right. and after a certain right. point in chili, you can put anything you want into it. You can put bananas, you can put mm. ball bearings, you can put anything you want in it, and it's still chili. You right. can't really mm. move it any place. And she's it got. It will move you, though. She's yes. got that kind of. <laughs> yes, thank you. <clears throat> she's got that that to that tipping point, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. where it 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 doesn't go. And I, having not been familiar with the. Mm -hmm. the, the earlier work, I, I sort of wanted them to be less filled. When you mentioned, did you was it Klimt or Sheila? I mentioned Sheila, Sheila but Sheila. throwing Klimt. I, I would like it if they were a little less complex and the figures were mm -hmm. a little more apprehendable, so that I could feel 
the grotesqueness. But surely from a distance, one they are. Um, it's only when one, uh, the closer one gets, the more intricacy one she could use discovers. A little, uh, but from know, a good distance, they just have a dense texture well, to them, don't you think? There's another thing in here that I, that, that I do like in, yes. in, in thing, which is the different viewing distances. You know, it mm. isn't stand back from an abstract expressionist painting and wham, and that's more or less it, or a pop painting. You see certain things from way back, and you see certain things from... Uh, from close up, she could use, and I'm gonna. This is gonna sound real school teacher-ish. She could use a little more value contrast in there, in mm -hmm. terms of the the getting back. There's too many middle value browns mm -hmm. for it to be, you know. But that's picky. Yeah, I was struck by the actual monochromatic nature of them. When in fact there are close up, many colors involved, but they kind of do brown out. Uh -huh. You know, they, they all have the same tonality. Um, yes. A final word in, 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 in as a plea for Mutu? Stephanie? Well, I, I, I would say she's definitely an artist to watch. I feel that, you know, this show was maybe not successful because she was trying to make a, a big splash in this big new space and was trying to throw a few too many things in there and maybe, you know, she was encouraged to put three more um, drawings in the show than she should have. I think that's a problem a lot of artists face when they go into these big gallery contexts. Um, but on the other hand, I think it's nice to see that she's in a gallery now that encourages her to just try out things. And I wouldn't be surprised if in two years from now it's going to be her strongest work yet. I definitely think it's good that she's not a one-trick pony and she's trying to break away from these collages she's known for because she has decades ahead of her. Excellent. Okay. Marvelous. Well, perhaps she'll tune in take Peter's technical tips and diversify no. no. her color, and she'll um, uh, wow us all. Um, n n not too many uh, browns and beiges in Roxy Payne. Um, distillation. So we, we started with uh, uh, Levine's distillations, and we're ending with a show that actually takes, takes distillation as its title. Metaphor. As its metaphor. Um, Roxy Payne. Here is certainly also an artist, however, who habitually gives us exhibitions which draw together um, uh, signs of um, a polymathic mind at work, uh, or at least somebody who, whose work homes in on contrastive uh, uh, forms and concerns. We've got in this show his, his mushroom motif and his uh, uh, tree construction thing going on um, and also if you go into the back room uh, I don't know if it's officially part of the show or not but uh, certainly the, the viewing room which is very much mm -hmm. open to the public has uh, a, a painting generated by one of his painting machines, the, the works that first brought him to my attention at least if not the art worlds um, Peter what do you make of the multi-track Roxy Payne. Elaborate. What do you make of the fact that we have an artist who, in his shows, usually wants us to know that there isn't uh, a singular Roxy Payne product, but there are various lines that, or rather his inquiry, if it's, if you dare, if I'm allowed to use the word inquiry, <laughs> if his uh, project uh, or his, his, his aesthetic uh, can take different um, 
uh, forms, different work within different genres. Uh, what do we make of that? I'm going to be critical, even though it was, you know, I, I, the thing is impressive, okay? Um, it's, it's that if he's going to do that, we're back to Sherry Levine, you know, it would be better if he did that in sequence rather than, you know, uh, synchronically at the same time and in different rooms. That, to me, this, maybe superficially, I'm just, this is, you know, pure aesthetics, but I, I really had a bad reaction to the sight line where I could see the adjunct room again with the replica toxic fungi, you know, um, um, and then see the machine thing. And the color thing really bothered me. You know, it was, it was really, and I would rather he do that. Don't mind the drawings and the, and the paintings, things like that, but that, I, I wish they would have separated that out, especially since the piece that he did was so complex, running mm -hmm. through, you know, running through all those, all those rooms. I did like, again, press release, meditation of mystical, meditation on mystical industrialism. I like that. Whatever it may mean. Whatever it meant. Um, uh, so whatever we think of Payne, we're going to give his, uh, we're going to give Jane Cohan a, uh, a Pulitzer for press release writing. Well, maybe it was a quote. Maybe it was a quote from the artist. I know, but it was uh, 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 something. I mean, it was impressive. I'm, I'm in the nitpicking mood tonight. So, yeah, well, two no, things. Nothing if not critical. One up for. there near the front where he has that second little short red segment that's a little lighter red and matte. You know, yes. it's not like the pipe. Yeah. Bad. Not mm. good. And the other one was back in there. There's a, a little thing that comes out of the rear wall of the of the sort of second back room that looks like a kidney, and it just it's a kidney it, shape. Yeah, it's a kidney thing that comes out. It could have done without that. You know, I, I don't think know that why. has mystical significance. It, 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 but it interrupted it interrupted the flow of things. Yeah. But in in the last thing I'll say though is you get sometimes I'm the last person on the on the uptake. You know. I thought that thing in near the entrance was a boiler, you know, like it fueled the whole thing. And of course, I had to read Peter Sheldahl to, f to find out it's a still, and the piece is called Distillation, yeah. you know. Mm -hmm. uh, one last thing, I, the, the combo of industrial stuff, tree limbs, you know, vegetation, hu human or animal organs, and then in that one little part in the back where he has the pattern of the, of the, of the silicon chip, you know, yeah, it worked. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, um, Ali, when, when Peter says he should have left out this bit of red and I didn't like this kidney, then it would have flowed better, this, this, uh, that's fine, but that's obviously a very formal reading of, of a work that doesn't necessarily have um, the formal intentions uh, that, that, um, behind it, does it? I mean, do, 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 do you feel that... Um, you have the right or the power to say this bit worked, this bit didn't, or do you feel that there's a project to understand with this, with this artist? I think first you have to understand it, and then you can say this piece doesn't belong. Mm -hmm. I think you can do both. I think you can do both. Um, I think this was, I think Roxy Payne is an extremely interesting artist. His ideas, again, his mad thinking, his... He, he's very, uh, he, you can never know where he's going to come from, although you know it probably will involve tree limbs at this point. But the mushrooms, the, mushroom, the mushrooms have been there for a long time. Um, I didn't think, 
I think the magic of the work was um, muted by the gallery installation because you ended up, it was almost like the fun house and you were trying to see now, how does this attach to the wall? And then, oh, is there, if I turn this, this handle, will, will something get distilled? So you begin to treat it almost like a puzzle. Um, and I thought the uh, impressive manufacturer perhaps overwhelmed the artistic, uh, uh, I don't want to say unity, but uh, I felt like, uh, what was that game where you follow a string, you know, and you follow it and get to the prize at the end? I thought the little model had a lot more um, potential in a way than the actual construction, and I thought, Roxy's doing very well. He had to have a lot of assistance to build this, right? That was, an ex that was a very expensive thing to install in a gallery. Where is it supposed to go? Where does it go next? Is it, what's it for? Well, it's art. It's for us <laughs> to but, aesthetically but, move us while it's there. Oh, right, exactly. And then it can go back into the machine shop, I guess. But um, no, and, it, and it's very, very intriguing. But somehow I found when I came, although I agree with Peter, I think trying to uh, glue the mushrooms onto the dendroid machine was uh, disjunctive. But I, I found, uh, I felt relief when I came to the wall of toxic fungi. Right, right. I found, I found the way they were made had more, um, it just had more, a little more resonance. Okay. But, um, Stephanie, was your, was your sensation one of um, intellectual and aesthetic unity um, leaving this show or disjuncture? Well, how did you respond? I um, experienced it as disjuncture. I think um, that his Dendroid series, I think there's about 20 or so works now that he's done, and I think most people have seen his big installation on top of the, uh, on the roof of the Met. Um, I thought these sculptures that are made out of industrial materials and show these, you know, natural forms, or most of them are trees. Um, they're nice in outdoor settings where they're actually surrounded by real trees. Mm -hmm. But now this kind of forced fusion of having these uh, natural forms with, you know, kind of human, like blown up organs and some, you know, true industrial um, forms, yeah, components. It's almost like this kind of three-dimensional collage she's trying to force together, and I agree with Peter. The painting, I thought, was a horrible choice. Um, I don't know. I wasn't that impressed with the whole installation. I think it was somewhat of a macho gesture. Bigger is better. It's oh, not what I'm interested in in him. Yeah, um, the magic. Didn't have the magic. Yeah. Well, um, I, I feel it would be good for the chemistry of this panel if I could throw myself into uh, yes. a very spirited uh, defense and explanation of all that uh, Roxy Payne stands for. Um, but, alas, uh, I am in concurrence <laughs> with, the, uh, with my co-panelists. I've, I've always thought he was a confectioner and um, that his works are, are, are very cute and that his project seems to be uh, decent and honorable enough. But um, I haven't got my head around it yet, and I don't feel that the forms are crying out to me to 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 do the homework necessary to make sense of them. Um, they just seem to be uh, charming enough, but uh, a bit pretentious, frankly. Yeah. One, one little, go ahead. I'm no. just going to say, did you see this movie called The Kings of Pastry? No, Kings of Pastry. Well, some of the concoctions in The Kings of Pastry reminded me of uh, Roxy Payne, actually. Right. 
one little one little point, I think, um, and l let me defend an earlier one. The, the thing about getting particular about you should have left off that matte red thing and that like that. Yes, it's a formalist criticism, but it's a formal it's it's a formal criticism in the sense of stagecraft. You know, I mean, if somebody's going to write a play that's going to have the audience going home weeping. There are certain things, you know, you've got to have Uncle Jack enter in a certain kind of blue light on stage left, and if he doesn't, then nobody in the audience cries. And I think that whatever intellectual emotional flow that pain had, it was, you know, diminished a bit by those two things. Not a whole lot, but, you know, a bit. The last thing I want to say, though, that, that one point in his favor, I thought of all those four shows. The Sherry Levine was very cool and intellectual. Uh, the Mutu show was very passionate. Um, Casabir, I may be wrong here, but, you know, it, 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 it had that reality, unreality, and then that mm -hmm. melancholy about it. I thought I saw a little humor in Roxy Payne's show. I mean, I thought there was a little acknowledgement with the valves and the pipes and everything that this is a little bit silly. It's a little bit over the top. And, and that unsave it, but I think it was there. Well, I mean, pain, um, pain that is least painful for me is pain that reminds me a little of Tongli, Tongli without moving. Um, and, and so I, I, I concur. I think, um, I think there is a sort of... Uh, Willful goofiness in 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 his work at its best, and um, that's what I do end up liking best about it. Well, audience, uh, tell us then. So, Mutu and Pain. Let's try and deal with uh, um, Mutu first. Uh, otherwise, it'll be too far from our memories. Um, does anyone have any comments on Wangechi Mutu's first show with Gladstone Gallery, her collages, her her moth girls, um, and the um, much rounded upon sculptural experiment. Any thoughts? Yes, no, no. Uh. Well, as, as Stephanie predicts, she'll be an artist, we'll be thinking about a great deal in the future, so uh, people, uh, oh good, oh great, yes, there's somebody behind you who's, who's yes. I actually am thinking about all four artists. Uh, my feeling is that, that uh, it's an interesting selection that you made, but it seems to me that all four of those artists are trying to push the envelope of their own work, which makes it interesting to me. I mean, I think uh, Mutu, for example, I think that the scale, I, I feel that the scale is much larger for that show, and I think she had to fill the space, and that probably was a certain pressure on her to do, to do that. But I do think she's pushing the work. Um, Casabir, I feel that the technical aspect of that work, he's so committed to making it just right that it almost takes over the work. And uh, so I, I love his earlier work. I think his earlier work is, was very influential and very important. Then as far as Sherry Levine is concerned, I think the exciting thing about her is for me that I don't know what to expect. And when I, I don't know if it was two Whitney Biennials ago that she was in, was it two or one? Anyway, I thought her work really stood up very well within the biennial context. So I think in her case, 
sometimes it takes a while to appreciate what she's after so that I try with her work not to jump in and, and have a too strong an opinion one way or the other and kind of let it dissolve mm. in my mind over time. So that, that's how I felt about, about hers. And uh, what did I leave out? No, I think you, you, you got them all. Thank you very much. Indeed. But it seems to me they're all, oh, and mm. of course the, the show at uh, Cohen. Yes. Um, Payne, I think, is also trying to push it. I think he's also trying to find function <coughs> within that, within that forest-like structure. And that somehow trying to, to put a function to it, I think in some ways worked and didn't work. I agree it wasn't entirely successful, but I think at the same time he's trying to push himself, and I think all four artists, in fact, are doing that. Okay, thank you. Great. So, um, so Roxy Payne, and, and the, uh, or, or indeed, or indeed, frankly, any artist, any anybody, any comments, any artists, very welcome. Uh, Roxy Payne, I mean, I did get goosebumps walking in there. I mean, it was like the aesthetics, the form, and the concept were about equal. And it made them good to look at. And kidneys are about water. I mean, washes through kidneys. That's what kidneys do. And it looked like it was all about water coming through, something coming through, and industry taking over our planet, you know, taking away from and I also got Rebecca Horn and Mata out of that, too. Right. Excellent. Yes, in the back row, please wait for the mic. Um, I thought it was very interesting that you just, that one of your panelists just pointed out the fact of what would happen to Roxy Payne after it closed when that's the artist's major concern with the show is what happens any of my work if it doesn't sell after a show closes. And to that point, um, Roxy Payne has the, the blessing of the art world. It's the equivalent of an Academy Award to have one art piece on the top of the Metropolitan Museum. And I'm thinking, Roxy probably has corporate sponsorship now for at least, I don't know, 10 years. Mm -hmm. Okay. Of course, the work's got to always be sent to. Is it was it Mali or Bali that you were worried about sending the Levines to? I think I, I, in Bali, Bali it would do very well. I think I think the, I think Payne would do well in either of those countries, um, and there's plenty of space and excellent. Um, any anyone else like to uh, round us off with a, a stirring comment or critique or question? Um, Otherwise, the chilly November evening awaits us all, and we'll see you back in, in February. Thank you very much to the National Academy for hosting our event. <laughs>